0: This month, Armored Saint will release their new album, Punching the Sky, via Metal Blade Records. A diverse, attitude-drenched collection, Punching the Sky is everything the band's faithful have come to expect from them while pushing their signature sound forward. Purchase your copies now at MetalBlade.com slash Armored Saint. Once again, Punching the Sky, the new album by Armored Saint. Make sure to purchase your copies now. Metalblade.com slash Armored Saint. <laughs>
1: Metal Sucks Podcast with
0: your hosts Petr Spych, Brandon Hahn, and Jocelyn Sharp. Metal Sucks Podcast. Hey, how's it going, everybody out there? Uh, Desire host Petr Spych, I am always joined by Brandon Hahn. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Your Buddy Gooch. And we got a full team here today.
2: You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at It's The Sylvia. And also, <laughs> Joslyn Sharp. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Joslyn Sharp. That's J O Z A L Y N, sharp like a sharp knife.
0: And guys, if you want to follow me, I'm at Rise to Offend on Facebook and Twitter. Rise to Offend official on Instagram. This week, guys, big interview for me. One of my favorite bands of all time, Mr. Bungle. I got to finally chat with Trevor Dunn about their new record, The Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny Demo. It is coming out October. 30th. Guys, make sure you're pre ordering it. And also, if you haven't gotten the new news yet, a live streaming event is happening as well. It's called the Virtual Live Concert Experience with Mr. Bungle. It's on Halloween. Tickets are 15 bunks. Go to Mr. Bungle live to pick up tickets. Guys, Did you say be- 15 bungs.
2: You said 15 bungs. Said 15 bungs. Yeah, 15
0: bungs. Whatever. <laughs> we got do it again. Sorry. <laughs> now
3: keep it in. Bungs.
2: Unless Mr. Bungle has their own currency. I didn't know about it. Bung dollars? Them. They totally took <laughs> the opportunity. Do
0: we have Bung Bucks? Bung Bucks. <laughs> Yes, so 15 bucks. <laughs> yes. Make sure. Mr. Live, guys, do not miss this streaming event. And and we will talk about that. The interview with Trevor is happening momentarily, guys. But as we all know, bummer, bummer, bummer week. Uh, we have lost, if I may, the hard rock guitarist of all time. Eddie Van Halen uh, passed away at 65 from cancer. Now, um, my uh, Van Halen story. Now, I was born in 1980, so the the first record I got in lifetime would be for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, and that would be. That's why the song we're playing is Judgment Day, because that was my error that kind of got me to go backwards on the uh, rabbit hole. That's off that record. It's a Sammy Hagar record for you guys that don't know, and um, that was. Uh, that was a, a record that I remember when I first heard you know, the guitars of Pound Cake, the first track on that record. I was like, this is different. This is special. It made me stop looking at new music and go back and look at the classic acts. Van Halen did this. I had For Unlawful Calling no Knowledge. I'm like, all right, what's this Kiss band about? I went and got Revenge, the album that was out at that time, and that became my Kiss record. What's this ACDC band about? I went and got The Razor's Edge the album at that time, and that became my record. So Van Halen made me kind of go back 10 years to see all these legendary bands, but me live them in my time. Um, So that record was always the most important one to me. Clearly, when I go back to the David Lee Roth era Van Halen, the self-titled Women and Children First is my favorite by far, Um, you realize how important and groundbreaking they were. But the only reason I went back was because of Dimebag and Vinny. Being such huge fans because it was a Pantera guy, saying that how important Eddie was and all that stuff. So kind of being a fan of Pantera made me go back to check it out. And then it's funny because you had the same drummer, guitar player, brother, brother. combo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Same bands. And uh yeah, it's it's like two generations, mm-hmm. right? And um, so that kind of made me go back. And then I was hooked on Van Halen. I didn't really go forward after Front, a lot of common knowledge, until the 2012 record that the reunited with uh, David Lee Roth, but I was lucky enough to see Van Halen with Sammy Hagar live in concert. And then I saw David Lee Roth um, and then reunite whenever it was back in 2014. I felt I saw it, but uh, I saw both versions of the band live, you know, and uh, that was cool. The last time I saw them, it was more about Eddie Van Halen and David singing, and that's for damn mm-hmm. sure. He was uh, soling it up and it was uh, you realized right then and there that you don't see shit like this. You know, it's uh, so I'm lucky enough to say I have seen uh, Van Halen on that stage twice in an arena, nosebleeds like a motherfucker. But of I saw course, him. Yeah.
1: At <laughs> least you saw them. Yeah,
0: exactly. So, um, and Brandon actually got me tickets to the second time. So yeah. it was sold out like immediately, and uh, uh, it's it's good to know people in radio. You too.
1: Yep.
3: Hey
0: man, Thank Sylvia hasn't given you shit. Me though,
3: <laughs> lots, of lots of great stuff. Lots of great stuff. I've hooked asked. you up with. Not Sylvia. Me.
1: <laughs>
0: What's going on right now for me to ask Sylvia? <laughs> well, I, the funny I, thing is though, I usually, I usually it get, to get to the, the, the funny w- thing w- is though video
3: game. Yeah, game. Yeah. Yeah. The funny video thing, w- thing w- is yeah. though is if you ask me for stuff, I ask Sylvia and then she gives it to me and then I take credit for it. Yeah,
2: credit. And nobody asks me for shit because I'm a bitch. And you're broke. Don't ask me. And you're broke as fuck. And I am broke. There's there's
0: many comedians that I I would want to see. I go to Jocelyn.
2: Oh, ha ha. Yeah.
0: I got a. Rock concerts? I go to YouTube. Wait a minute, what? That's right. I'm not performing at the rock concert. You sack of shit. I need meth. I go to Brennan's mom. Right. Oh, mom.
1: It's all it's a family. Oh. Thing. She's very skinny. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so that was so, a mama joke. Um, that was a
2: weird, really was, bad your yeah. mama joke because pizza dad and he doesn't know how to. I don't
1: know how to joke. Your joke. <laughs> Very, he was
2: just like your mom's addicted to meth. Yeah,
3: he's like, why did yeah? Why well, was seven? If well, I was seven, afraid of nine or what? it was uh, i was six, afraid of seven, seven, eight, nine, done.
2: You know what's funny about uh, my
3: joke? Okay, what he just did, I was worse than whatever listen. I just.
2: Well, I knew what he meant. We yeah, got the point. It was
3: a dad joke. I just threw out. We, I was trying to wave. Who doesn't
2: love dad jokes? All of us. Yeah, uh,
3: I'm not a fan of dad jokes. I'm not a fan <laughs> well, you of dad jokes. <laughs> I
1: love dad jokes. jokes. You guys I'm suck.
3: I'm done. I love dad <laughs> jokes. It's probably why I don't get
0: paid doing comedy. Because <laughs> I hate dad jokes. <laughs> like, done. You're not going to break me, audience. So <laughs> who's the, as far as guitar players go, we lost Dime. That was our era. Um, and now the, it's it's changed. But you go back to the Jimi Hendrixes. You I, go back to the Eddie Van Halen's on the same boat. You know, I, always, um, I
3: always look at the people that i always look at the innovators Uh eddie van halen when he came on the scene um what he brought to the guitar was so unheard of he taught people like legendary guitar players what to do when they were already good and legendary he taught them how like these there's the, the you've only you've only read one chapter of the book on guitar and then eddie comes along with this Novel, And he's like, here's the rest. Go for it. Try and match it. And then he kept getting better and better and better every single year.
2: To your point, the innovators, the the thing that they bring to music all the time is the fact that uh, they bring signature style, right? The way they fret, the way they hit the chords, the way they pick, all of these things are signature to them. And, you know, guys like Van Halen, those signatures end up influencing people in the future and Mm -hmm. they create new signatures and they create new
0: styles. He taught people how to have fun while playing guitar. That was another point I was going to bring up,
2: because when you see him, you see that that grin, that Eddie Van Halen smile. And you know that he's just having a blast up there. Yeah, and I don't think you see that too much. No, it's nowadays. very rare. It's not it, yeah. You got to be. You got to be tough, and you got. Yeah. And, and even if you are good at guitar and it's second nature to you, mm-hmm. I think that's the other thing, though. For Eddie Van Halen, it wasn't hard. D- yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think- <laughs> let's,
3: that, but that's but that's but the thing is though is like that's what makes people like him so special. He's it's a like, I would mm-hmm. love to know how many people are amazing guitar players that have never picked up a guitar. Eddie was one of those lucky people that just had a guitar land in his lap and he just got started. His guitar playing spawned a whole genre. It's like when Black Sabbath spawned like metal and just, you know, the drop C, the drop D chords, Van Halen came along and said, Oh, I'll inspire you some metal, but we're going to go this direction. And that's what he did. And, uh, And there was just countless other bands, countless other genres just clamped onto that, saw what he did, learned his tricks, applied it to their own guitar playing. But once, I don't ever think I've ever seen a gap bridge the way
0: Eddie bridged it. Instruments, and we don't want to accept this because we're, we're fans of heavy metal and rock music, but instrumentation and the way music is sound eventually goes underground and is considered classical right? Mm-hmm. Like Beethoven and stuff like that, eventually was phased out to what was new, right? And after all those guys died, nobody's going to be better than those guys. So you don't have the composers like that. And then eventually it happened with blues and eventually it happened with jazz. And now we're aware in our lifetime, it's happening with the guitar. That instrument's going to be an old classical like the cello. <laughs> instrument yeah. No, yeah. in no time at all. It might be in our lifetime, but it'll be the next generation. And guys like Eddie Van Halen stepping away is just another person who has mastered this instrument. The instrument's not going to matter is what I mean. In the future, I think what you're saying—it's
3: you know? him falling—is another sad
0: reminder of musical evolution,
3: and we're just getting further and further away
0: from the from human, human element. element. Yeah, the yeah. human element of the musical mm-hmm. evolution is 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 slowly passing away. And as soon as all these masters go away, and we look back, a generation looks back, but, well, nobody's gonna be as good as Jimmy or, or Eddie or Dime. I, or- I, there's I, I never will, gonna
2: be another. I one. will yeah. disagree in the in the fact that there is this resurgence of respect for the past in the youth, mm-hmm. and I see it all over social media. You know, I follow a lot of new bands and music on SoundCloud and stuff and you're seeing you know there's a guy all he does all day is post videos of him trying to recreate show you can recreate modern pop songs on the guitar and he's just he's wailing on this guitar and it's there is I think that there is hope for a renaissance because my greater point is that what Eddie Van Halen does is cellular it's in our genetics it hits you in a place that is almost spiritual I can't explain it in terms of psychology or modern science or anything because it's more than that. It's People more. will
0: play his songs till the end of time, but will there be another guitar player that no. writes never. songs? Never. There's not one up, now.
2: <laughs> fill no. up an I, yeah. arena. That's I what I'm I saying. Never. The music's classical. I, I, yeah, because, yeah, I, I, like, yeah. it Joss is classical. Say, like Jocelyn was, like was saying, like you can't name someone right now.
0: Mm. I, I'm just saying, like think I about... I mean, you could try to. There's a few, but not mainstream. Yeah. Think no. about the not very first
3: time you just heard a simple blues riff attached to a rock and roll. People were like, what is this? Oh, it is... And it's all it's so simple. But the first time they heard that they were blown away. How many times has that very same riff been used over and over and over again, whether it's sped up, whether it's slowed down, it's the same thing. Eventually, we as a human race, I just feel like we've heard so many different variations of the same thing that you have no other
0: choice but to go back. Mm-hmm. Vince wrote a very good article about his experience growing up with Van Halen. I think you guys should definitely search for it and read it. It was great. Um, but going on to the next thing, the Metal Sox quarantine cast, he just had with Bill Kelleher from Mastodon. And he did bring up that the guys in Mastodon are um, going on unemployment because of the economic woes that are going on. And they have been collecting checks uh, at the time. And we're not in any way bashing anybody that's on unemployment. This is... You know, something that this is you a reality. need to do, and this is a reality. And, and trust me, everybody in this room, if they needed unemployment, they would mm-hmm. be on it in a heartbeat. But it goes to show you what you're talking about, the future of musicians and splitting things five ways. The consumer doesn't care about that. They just want the art. They don't care who does it anymore. They don't care about the brand. They don't care no about loyalty. the band. Um, and unfortunately, I don't know. I, I had a conversation with somebody because a lot of people that don't listen to metal or a genre or heavy music in general there's a negative connotation to everything about it you know you're angry you're mean you're bad you know this is what you want you're violent shouldn't you be singing about
3: wet ass pussies (laughs) and so (laughs) (laughs) like one of the number one
0: number one song in the world right now there's a
2: room for Motley Crue in every group
0: (laughs) (laughs) And so you, you, it has all those connotations. So in essence, like when you're labeled that, a lot of people, like you said, racist, these things like that, which if you're in this world, you're like, you're nothing further from the truth. But when you think of mainstream, you know, when you watch a uh, God, they just, they watched Trolls 2 and the bad guy was the metalhead, the kids. And they're like, look, the metal guy's bad. And I'm like, damn it. You know, <laughs> I'm wearing a metal shirt. I'm like, what? why? Yeah. It's this right? old
2: school idea that if you wear leather, you're you, a criminal. Yeah, oh, yeah. Leather <laughs> with studs. And with studs. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, so oh, that's um, bad. I have a nose ring. I'm a dangerous criminal because my head shaved. I have fucking anxiety disorder. <laughs> like,
0: well, that, but that's just, the thing, though. I need just, a weighted
2: blanket. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> so we, being a, a group that's getting smaller and smaller like that, it's clear to me that these bands um, aren't gonna get what they need to survive. And then you go to another story. If you guys read that, Sumac. Uh, they, you won't find their new album at Spotify because the guy from Spotify a couple months ago was like, put out more music so you can make more money because he pays them peanuts. And that's the other part of me to be like, all right, we as, we as consumers aren't buying records anymore. We're listening to a, a, a platform that doesn't pay the artists we like at all. And the artists are in a position where it's like, we have to accept peanuts because nobody gives a shit about us. So all encompassing, it's showing that that we as fans are the only ones that are going to have to step up um, and change the game or artists have to do like sumac and say you know what let's not let this fucking platform have my music we're learning that over years in years and years it's been what Twenty something
3: years of Lars Ulrich being right. He yeah. called God this damn it, shit, Lars. He called this from way back in the day, and then douchebags like Fred Durst, were like whatever, man. and
0: now we like, were all, all right. on
2: Fred Durst's side. Yeah, we yeah, were at all at the on, time. Yeah. We we're like, fuck yeah, Fred. Because Durst's. we were all listening to Chocolate Starfish yeah. and the Hot Dog well, flavored not water. All. But I'm just saying, it's <laughs> like, no, no, no. I, no, I Here's the I was the thing. always
0: I, on Lars' side. I,
3: was, um, I I will tell you this. I was on. I, like I, I remember going like, well, yeah, they kind of deserve to have their own money, you know. Like I will tell you this. We were
2: all on Lars' side, but we were in middle school. So we were like that sucks lars uh, right download metal discography
0: going full circle if the media and the industry was what it should be and the artist got respect you think we would have had a we had one van halen record that was in 2012 from i think 99 on but there was no money for him to be motivated to make new music give us more stuff there was nothing there you know that record they put out was van halen 3 i want to say it was 99 i apologize if my dates wrong years of music he could have been making, it it didn't matter to him. Because the industry changed to a point where it wasn't worth it. The point is, is that yeah, we we are we are a genre, we are an industry that's going to be underground, underground, might not survive in the long. I run think that
2: things. this is the the uh, opposite effect of of the meme, internet troll culture, the negative attention culture, the negativity is popularity culture. Like we have to get away from this consuming of the drama and the bullshit and the reality TV garbage and go back to paying attention and time on the things that matter. There's boy, going
0: our, back. There is no going back and what i I would well there
2: is we can teach our kids to go back and they'll teach their kids to go back you
0: you might be right kids will just be weirdos like me and 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 weirdos will
2: make more weirdos (laughs) and more weirdos will make more weirdos (laughs) but it won't be mainstream
0: but it won't be mainstream. it won't be mainstream that's the
3: thing because look especially here in america i'm america give me that's the that should be the that should be your your what you stand and pledge allegiance to is i'm america give me stuff that's how that's how selfish this country has gotten and it's—I don't know if that's ever going to change. I would hope that maybe we could find out a better way for these people to get compensated for their art. But as of right now, it just looks like whatever's easiest will work. Whatever's whatever's going to cause the, the record labels—and which, by the way, how long are they going to be around? It's like whatever's going to make them happy or, or just kind of get them on the right platform. It's like, I I don't know how you make a living doing this. Humans have
2: always been selfish. They will always be selfish. Humans have been selfish since the beginning of time.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And it's like, unless you're doing, unless you're like one guy and you're just hiring private, I mean, uh, hired guns to just play your music. It's just, Mm -hmm. I I don't know how you get a collection like of three to four people and go, all right, we're going to do this together and then expect to
1: eat.
2: Well, and the thing is, is that every single musician that we know, works other jobs like that's not like music is the only thing we do every artist i know we all have seven comedian, jobs painter everything, yeah. Everybody
0: I know. yeah everybody's got everybody th- that is not ends meet anymore that's just a, a change in the time man you know but so uh hats off to mastodon's bill keller here for being honest about you know, being unemployment that's really cool that uh, guys make sure you check out that interview Metal Sucks Quarantine Cast. You can find it on your Apple And iTunes. if you can
2: afford it, buy a Mastodon album. You uh, abso- will not regret it.
0: Absolutely, you won't. Uh, and then Sumac. I think Sumag. it's
1: another opportunity for uh, him to connect to the fans, too. Yeah,
3: yes. well, Everybody's going to Well, you know. in now. class, I mean. And that's the class thing. Fans, it's like, yeah. what needs to happen, what needs to happen is more of these stories coming out. Now what we need is we need some of these bands to show everyone I'm human and I'm not having a good time. Yeah. And it's because of all these it's because you keep stealing my music and it's because yes. you keep stealing my work and you're not paying. Me show for them
2: it. the consequences.
3: Show this guy waiting around not doing anything. Show this show this other guitar player for this other band delivering pizzas. Show this guy at Home Depot. Let everybody know what is going on so you can get your
0: fucking entertainment. You know, if I was in a band, I would do 10 years, put out three records, and that would be it. And yeah, I'd be like, that, now I have to move on. But this is all this is as lo- this is the el- elapsed my dreams allowed in this lifetime. And if you get to a level like Masson and I'd be like, hey, cool, that's all I can then you give can you, stick you fans. Around, yeah. That's all I can give you fans, because that's about the amount of time you can give me where I can survive and my my life can move in a trajectory upward. Ten years. That's it. From twenty to thirty. That's all you guys get. And you can keep those records, and that's my gift to you. And I appreciate you guys going to the concerts and this and that. But anything after that is just me putting myself in further debt, putting myself. Well, in and, further and and, and also, out. unless you
2: made yourself a a household name before. 2000, basically, you're not going to live on arena tours for the rest the, of your life. Yeah, that
0: 10-year yeah. that yeah. span is pretty much impossible for a band to break through, but I just think that's a fair that's a fair uh, give or take for the sacrifice for their art to give out to us. And hey, if you love it, you do it the rest of your life. Don't listen to my philosophy. That's just me. In
3: closing, when it comes to Eddie, it's like yes, with everything that we've mentioned, that will never be duplicated. Ever. No. um He will, yeah. as far as musicians are concerned, I think he has reached Mozart status.
2: He goes, on the, music, he goes yeah. on the musician Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Oh, that, for sure. That's what I'm saying. It's like oh, you have... Guitar.
3: Yeah, yeah. Like, you have, you have certain people that, will, that are so giant, and they've left such a lasting legacy that they're going to be around for hundreds of years after their death. Like, they're always going to be mentioned. And I do think that, you know, guys like Jimi Hendrix and, uh, and Eddie Van Halen, I just think that those two names, when you think guitar it's like, it just doesn't get any bigger than that. And I know, I know, I mentioned other guitar players. I love Angus Young. He's one of my, he was Eddie's favorite guitar player. Eddie flat out said that Angus Young is my favorite guitar player because he makes something so, so simple sound so amazing. I'm like, that is exactly what a guitar player is supposed to do. Stay on time, stay, hit that bend at the right time. And, and, and the thing is, is Eddie was able to do that at light speed. It's just the things that he was able to bring to us and I'll always be thankful for it. If you're gonna be listening to any Van Halen, just just smile. Think of what think of think of what Eddie and think of what those songs did for you. Think of think of us, think of laughing of I don't feel tardy. Think of think of all the, the you know, Diamond Dave just doing roundhouse kicks and stuff. Think about how much fun that band brought each and every single time they went out on stage. I wish we could have a band that could recreate that kind of feeling. Um, but I, I don't like, as far as the times are concerned right
0: now, I don't know. So with that guys, let's jump into our interview with Trevor Dunn from Mr. Bungle. Everybody what's going on? Petter metal sucks podcast on the phone. I have Trevor Dunn from Mr. Bungle and we are here to talk about the raging wrath of the Easter bunny demo, which is coming out October 30th guys. Make sure you're pre-ordering it. What a fantastic, fantastic record. You got Thrash Legends on the record with you guys. Now, we're talking about Scotty and Dave Lombardo for the people out there that are dumb.
4: No, oh, I thought you were talking about me and Trey. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm going to call you guys <laughs>
0: Legends, but... Legends of Thrash is going to be a, it's going to happen October thirtieth. That's when that officially happens <laughs> to the right. But let's go back to nineteen eighty six. I mean, you guys originally started as a, a cover band um, that was focused kind of on death and thrash, um, which the new record does display full on. Tell us about the origins of Mister Bungle and the primary influences for you guys at that time.
4: Well, um, the origins are that uh, actually Mike and I were playing in. Uh, like a thrash metal cover band called fiend and trey had his own original band with with uh, our first drummer jed and another bass player and when those two bands dissolved and uh, we met trey the four of us me mike trey, and jed got together and just started jamming and we were all i mean we were all we were in high school, I think Trey was like 15, and we, me and Mike were 17 or something, and we were, we were. this was mid-80s, you know, 80, 84, 85, somewhere around there, and I mean, we were completely riding the crest of the thrash metal wave at the time, totally obsessed with, I mean, aside from other kinds of music as well, you know, we were really paying attention to what was happening in the metal and waiting for the next you know record to come out and uh, you know waiting for the next like who's going to play double bass faster than the last guy and you know um what kind of weird chords is is Merciful fake in and use or you know or transitions or whatever the heck I mean just really on top of it and um so you know I I wrote some actually wrote some liner notes for the yearbook edition of the CD and I kind of talk a little bit about this um but we I mean we kind of, it's, you know, we felt like we were in, you know, taking a course in metal basically. And, and guys like Scott and Dave were our professors. <laughs> Dude, absolutely.
0: Now in the Northern Cal scene, that's where you guys all grew up. Um, there was so many just really vibrant music scenes going on at the time. Um, uh-huh. like you brought up the metal, but punk rock was happening, hardcore, all that stuff was going on around the same time. Why do you think, did you, did you feel like you were a part of each of them as you were growing up or did you just kind of gravitate to metal when you guys were in the high school years?
4: I guess we, I guess we gravitated to metal. I think, I think essentially we kind of came out of, you know, hard rock, Mm. you know, when, when I was in junior high school, you know, the most popular record was back in black, um, you know like everyone in that school knew. i mean of course anyone my age or somewhere around there you know knows that record back to front obviously <laughs> i mean now it's 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 practically pop music but um uh i mean there wasn't in terms of a scene where we actually grew up was is pretty remote mm. um you know there was a lot going on in the in the bay area in san francisco and also up in portland but um but those places were, you know, just physically far away, and we'd have to make pretty big drives to actually go see decent shows or go to a, you know, a Tower Records or something where we could find anything or, or but like a, um, you know, a exclusively metal record store, which actually used to exist. <laughs> so, uh, where we grew up in in Eureka, um, in Humboldt County, was there wasn't so much of a scene, kind of. Right around the time we were coming up in high school, um, there was there was kind of a it was kind of a punk scene that had been happening around there for a while, and we knew some of those people and um, listened to the college radio, which had a you know a lot of influence on us. So, and then I don't know at a certain point in high school, as we were kind of progressively listening to more you know more intense metal, we kind of realized that hey, you know punk rock has been doing this for a while too. You know, this, this kind of, a, you know, we were really into fast tempos and the more aggressive kind of stuff. And, you know, eventually this whole crossover scene happened and that was, we were, you know, made for that. We just latched onto that like crazy. And, um, I mean, it was, it was a weird era, you know, for both those scenes, because, you know, in high school metals, metal heads and, and punks didn't, uh, didn't hang out together they were actually for some unknown reason enemies you know (laughs) but we had we had friends in both scenes you know and and i mean there's a i remember me and mike were at a party once in high school we just you know we didn't even drink in high school and we went to some party just to hang out with people and and it was there was mostly punks i think and and somebody put on the first suicidal tendencies record and me and mike were singing along to it and we were you know we were full-on metal heads we had hair down the middle of our backs and you know wore the wore the um you know classic things leather and denim and all that and uh and you know these punks friends of ours were were uh surprised that we knew this record and we we're like yeah we love this what are you talking about <laughs> So, I mean, it, that kind of thing is surprising today, I think, but back then, you know, it was um, probably pretty commonplace.
0: Yeah, and it's crazy because, like, it is hard to grasp for I think the the newer kids for someone to be like, you have to pick a side between the dead Kennedys and Slayer. And you're like, what? Yeah, to to yeah, <laughs> you know?
4: yeah, exactly, exactly. And then you know, throw in the goths in there, you know, so people were listening to Bauhaus, you know, you mm. couldn't hang out with them, and <laughs> you know. I mean, my girlfriend was into Cyndi Lauper, you know. So,
0: (laughs) oh, dude, I've I've done so many interviews where people used to tell me, "Yeah, we had our record collection that my friends can see, and then the hidden record collection in the closet." Right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: That's uh... and then you know, on top of that, you know, another layer is that you know, like Trey and I in particular were learning, um, you know, learning about jazz and classical music, and so we were listening all, all that, you know, but. You know, so, uh, I don't know. It was all, from the beginning, it was all just music to us, you know.
0: Absolutely, man. Yeah, it's it's evolved to, I think, where it probably should be fan base-wise, that you can listen to Everything and get something from everything instead of picking sides, but um, yeah, it, it also sounds fun back then too to have to pick a side. So it's it's kind of like <laughs> right. to me I'm like oh which side would I do? It's it's a mind boggler. I'm like I don't know, man. <laughs> right, right,
4: right. I don't know. Yeah, the it's, whole the whole cliques. I mean, it's very. I can still picture too. There were the metalheads hung out in one part of the campus at lunch hour. You know, the punks had mm-hmm. there was this whole there was this outdoor kind of um, uh, uh, like alleyway between buildings where the, it was called Punker row, you know, that's where the punks and goths hung out, you know, so, you know, it's kind of funny to think about that. And then of course, me and I hung out pretty exclusively exclusively with with Mike in high school because we just didn't really like a lot of people. So we would actually walk off campus and sit by the tennis courts and have our lunch (laughs) where no one else was, you know, so we, we didn't really belong to anything.
0: I think that's what makes uh, a lot of artists special is that they're like, we're going to learn from everybody around us, but we're going to follow our own course. I do really think that that's uh, something that I, I, uh-huh. I, the more interviews I do that I really find that is is an important thing. Like, again, the word outsiders kind of, I don't know, it takes on different meanings for people, but man, it's just such a, for our musical genre, it's just such a, a, a beautiful word, the older you uh, get, you know?
4: Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, I mean, I find as someone who writes music, I've, I mean, I, I felt this way, I think, from the beginning, and I've, but, and I think I've gotten better with it as I've gotten older. But, you know, sometimes I'll write something that sounds like, you know, something that I, like, I can recognize the influence. I'm like, oh, that's, I basically stole that or something, or, Mm -hmm. or it sounds too, too, like something that I, you know, I can, see you right through it myself being you know that near to it so then I'll, I'll i'm like well i have to change it somehow i can't just you know do something that's already been done and i i feel like a lot of people don't have that um reflection or something and uh so that's i think that's super important i mean it's obviously we're all you know i didn't invent music i didn't invent you know <laughs> the bass or <laughs> any of that stuff so but i have to somehow make it my own you
0: know yeah but you studied the language and you've kind of mastered it like there's an intuition i think for a lot of people that have done it as long as obviously you have and and i think that it is like a language like people that speak english really well and know words and things like that yeah you have your ears i think tuned to oh whoa, 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 that comes from here now when you have that feeling uh-huh. though is it like a uh, in your gut or is it like something like in your head that you're kind of like oh I think I've heard that or do you just kind of feel it like almost like an intuition inside at this point
4: um I think it's I mean it kind of depends where I am in like the writing process like if, like if I write something and I'm happy with it and I put it down and I come back to it later then I might if I come back to it with fresh ears I'll I might hear something i might hear the influence like oh you know i you know Mm. screw that you know so or or change that or whatever but i don't know if it's intuition it's sometimes you get in that zone you're writing you're not you know well those influences or whatever you know or like about music is just kind of flowing you know so um it's hard to uh it's kind of hard to maybe distinguish in the moment um there's a there's a really cool um this the uh, the comedian and actor John Cleese from Monty Python has this great um, uh, short lecture on creativity that you can see on YouTube. Um, I, I've actually told a lot of people about this. It's it's I find it super um, helpful about. It's it's basically a lecture on creativity and kind of the the process of of um, getting started and having the patience with yourself. And he he talks a lot about. Um, being in these two different modes, like you have to be in a mode where you're like playful and experimental and, um, you know, and you're just kind of going for it, but then you also have to step out of that mode and be super critical, you know, and, and, and intellectual about it and be like, okay, what did I, what did I just do there? Uh, is that good or not? You know, and, but, but kind of balance those two modes of thinking, you know, which is not easy to do. I wouldn't say that I, Have that mastered by any means?
0: No, no, but that's the the craftsman of being a creative mind in in ways. I I love it. No, people check that out. I have not seen that myself, but I will check that out. John Cleese. On YouTube it's just like we'll just you can search it it's like a almost like a master class it sounds like or is it just like yeah it's
4: like it's a it's a lecture and it's oh. it's I think the whole thing is only like 20 minutes or something oh, so
0: dude, that's all you need um, sometimes yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with our attention spans that's perfect <laughs> exactly <laughs> now I do want to bring up like I said guys we're here to talk about the raging wrath of the Easter Bunny demo which is coming out October 30th fantastic there are there are videos out there so make sure you guys if you haven't checked it out do check it out but there are three more demos in the Mister Bungle universe um, that I don't know if have gotten the proper release, so I do want to just bring those up real quick. And the three demos uh-huh. we're talking about: a foul of, of Chile, yeah. God damn it, <laughs> I love American O U eight one eight are the three. Yes. Now, um, <laughs> out of all those three, if what would you personally want to revisit and recreate if you had another opportunity to do that with those those demos? Because us as fans. Um, we're not going to be super familiar with them as well. It's kind of like the similar situation we are with the Easter Bunny record right now.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, I mean, they all kind of have a different um, story in a way. And to be honest, I don't think I would ever want to revisit any of them. Um, You know, the last demo, OU818, was essentially what became our first record. So um, almost everything on that record was... um, was released um properly on the on our first warner brothers record um except for one song and you know i mean i guess there is a slight chance that someday we would release some material that we recorded like each record we did um each record warner brothers record we did we had leftover songs that we never released so um there's you know there's a small chance that someday we could release those but um but i don't think we would revisit that demo um there then skipping back to our second demo which is uh, which was um battle of Chile." that in a way that wasn't even really well that was actually the most demo-like thing out of all of them because it was the only reason we made that was um we actually when we kind of switched styles uh we we started soliciting you know venues and promoters to try and get gigs so um which that was the whole point or and also like you know sending in the labels and stuff and but um i think the i mean that's the whole point of making a demo you know it's a demonstration tape (laughs) so um the other all the other three i think were kind of more just us putting out you know recordings you know um and Baloch i'm not you know to me it's it's kind of the most amateurish out of all of them um i don't there's only a handful of um songs that i would consider even remotely good at this point (laughs) (laughs) um and i kind of feel the same way about god damn i love america i mean that was you know it's a little bit more mature um songwriting is definitely you know going towards our first record i think in fact i think um egg that song is on that demo if i'm honest, i can't remember but anyway it's you know that made it on our first record so um you know anything by the time we made our first record anything that wasn't on those you know um god damn it and and uh ou818 like we just essentially discarded and We've never really returned to those, you know, the, the the first demo, Raging Wrath, we've actually returned to it a few times, we've actually played um, a couple things from that live, you know, over the years, that, and but of course no one knew what it was, they just thought we were playing some obscure metal song, <laughs> and we were aware of that, but we didn't care, <laughs> but uh, um, so... Yeah, this was one where Raging Wrath is like, okay, there's actually still kind of like this, and it was, it, you know, super. Um, I don't know. It had a had something to it that we just felt like needed to be uh, uh, redone.
0: Man, it's it's there's a fire to it. It's great, and that's the thing is like the Bungle trilogy. If we go with the self titled Disco Volante and uh, California they all uh-huh. sound completely different. And then Raging Rat does as well. So it kind of uh-huh. fits in the catalog, even though I know it's a, an original. Catalog. Right. Yeah. Um, and going back to the self-titled, like we are talking about, um, that was your first collaboration, if I'm not mistaken, because John Zorn did produce that record. Is that correct?
4: Yeah. He he essentially um, helped us mix it. Um, we actually recorded everything before he showed up. And then, um, yeah, then we gave him producer credit. And then, You know by the time we once we got to know him and work with him after that and and by the time our second record um you know by the time it came ready for us to record that we kind of we talked to him a little bit and he said you know what you guys don't need me you know what you're doing so (laughs) you know um which and he was totally right we you know but he he definitely was a lot of help for us in the studio It it was you know we were it was really our first real studio experience um you know, our OU eight when eight was recorded an eight track uh studio and this was you know, we jumped up to twenty four tracks and you know, two inch tape and you know, we had an engineer and, you know, we had a budget and all that. So <laughs> we um uh we definitely needed and we were super young and so we definitely needed someone there to kind of pull pull us back sometimes and and you know make you know make it make us give up uh, a fake b3 you know sound and and bring in a real beef and b3 organ, you know stuff like that sort of like authenticize the music a little bit more dude and
0: you've been collaborating with him you know since for a long time yeah ever so since yeah records um and uh he's one of the most inventive voices i, I mean he's a is an icon i know that he's labeled avant-garde i believe but um what do you just being around his creativity in his process um has it changed you have you uh recorded and write music
4: um yeah i think so i think so i mean i've i've spent so many hours you know not even not just in the studio but you know on the road with him and hanging out you know and i mean i consider him a you know used to at one point he was I, he was like i would consider him one of my heroes or something like that now i feel like he's a colleague you know and a friend so um and but i've yeah i've been able to watch how he works and he's he's got a really intense work ethic i mean he's whenever he's in the studio his his goal is to make the best record he can and you know there's nothing that's gonna stop him from doing that and and it's um you know it's not like i don't know i think almost everyone else i've ever worked with there's a lot more downtime in the studio, people are like, let's take a coffee break. let's order some food. Let's do this. Zorn is like from 11 o'clock in the morning until the record's finished. He's like, go, go, go. (laughs) If you want to have lunch, you got to kind of sneak it in between takes. (laughs) And, um, uh, you know, it's intense, but it's it's great. And he really he pushes all his musicians. And I've, you know, I've definitely become a better musician from you know playing his music and and um you know getting his uh constructive criticism or or praise or whatever it is you know like encouragement might be a better word um so yeah i've definitely learned a lot
0: and that's something that you're it seems like you're surrounded with from from a fan perspective is that there's a lot of guys with this Really strong work ethic, almost like a workaholic type of thing. You look at Mike Patton, obviously. We're talking about Buzz from the Melvins that you just collaborated yeah. with um, on a new record, guys. If you haven't got a gift of sacrifices out right now, King Buzzo and Trevor Dunn, great record. Make sure you guys are checking it out. But the output that these guys and Zorn have, we just mentioned, and yourself, the output you guys put out, it's almost you know almost yearly, multiple times a lot of work, um, being around that environment of musicians and creators that have that work ethic, is it kind of like you have to keep moving?
4: I, um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, as someone who, you know, I, I do try to do some of my own projects Mm -hmm. as well, but I, and I probably, you know, the biggest percentage of what I do is, is work as a side man. And, um, um, so I'm, you know. I'm really busy all the time and it's, I have to go from one project to another, you know, and, and, um, it, it's not always, uh, it's not always, how can I say this? It's not always my choice to do that. Really. (laughs) I mean, I'm the one who's saying yes to the gigs, but, um, but, uh, uh, you know, I do work You know, and I think maybe this is just part of my personality. I do tend to, um, uh, you know, um, what's the word I kind of um, just veer towards people who work like that, you know? Um, and I can, I have, I don't know, it's as a bass player, I, um, those people like working with me cause I, I'm, you know, flexible in a lot of different ways. So, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think all those people you mentioned and myself included, I mean, we kind of live and breathe music, you know, I mean, it's, um, it's, What I do most of the time, whether I'm practicing bass or you know learning someone else's music or writing my own or whatever, it's just kind of constant. Or you know just listening to music for pleasure too. I actually still do that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's good to hear. Yeah, that that's that's you got to be a fan first, and it's got to be a lifelong. To me, I'm I'm a fan, and like I said, that's my lifelong journey. When did the initial? Because like I said, you guys are all moving around. You're moving parts. So many records are coming out. Um, through Patton's label, Epic Hack. He did like three or four last year. Um, you're uh-huh. moving a lot as well. When did the idea come together and when did Lombardo and Scott and say, all right, we want to be a part of this? When did that whole origin story happen for the revisit of this record that's coming out?
4: Well, there was, um, I you know, I have to admit that it was, the whole thing was kind of my idea. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, and uh, I, I guess I thought of it at, at some point after meeting Dave and playing in Phantomos, and, uh, you know, because Trey and Mike and I have always, we've, you know, we've always talked about our metal years and about that demo and stuff. And, and we're still, you know, metal heads at heart, I think, um, you know, at some point I thought, wow, we should, you know, it'd be fun to actually, um, my, you know, my idea was to just re-record the demo that in just, you know, not even play any shows. Um, and uh because ultimately that music was written with lombardo in mind i mean we were obsessed with especially rain and blood like Mm. everyone else when it came out but um i mean my my, trey and mike and i could probably sit down and air drum that whole record in together in unison you know (laughs) um but uh, uh uh So that, you know, that was kind of an idea. And then I went and saw a couple of years ago, I went and saw, um, dead cross, uh, play with, and secret chiefs were opening up. So, um, Trey and Mike were there of course. And, and, uh, Lombardo and we were hanging out backstage. It was kind of the first time Trey and Mike and I had been in the same room in a few years actually. And, uh, um, uh, I just kind of breached the subject and everyone was like, wow, that's yeah. Fuck yeah, man. We're down. And, um, And I'm like, cool, that was easy. And then like a whole year went by, you know, it just like, you know, we sat on the idea and people had other shit going on. So um uh event so I brought it up again like a year later and then and then that kind of got the ball rolling. And then it was Mike's idea to add Scott because we just, you know, he's like, Yeah, we should have a second guitar player for this, um, which made sense. And he knew Scott. I think we'd I'd met him at some festival somewhere and he was totally cool and um, I mean, his take on it was hilarious because we didn't know this, but it turns out he was a fan and even knew that original demo, which blew our minds. Like, what? You know this demo? He's like, yeah, man, I used to listen to that all the time. And he he said that when Mike called him or emailed or whatever and said, hey, you know, we, you know, you want to, you know, make this record with us. Well, he thought that he thought that Mike was asking him to come to a show. Like, hey, Bungle's playing, you want to come to the show? (laughs) And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll come to the show. And he's like, no, no, wait, we want you to play the show. (laughs) So so he was totally, both those guys were totally down, you know, totally worked their asses on it, which was great. I mean, you know, there were moments when Trey and Mike and I were just looking at each other, shaking our heads, like, "Can you believe we're doing this? This is ridiculous!" Like, the se- our seventeen-year-old selves are crapping themselves right now. <laughs> so, um, it was fun. <laughs>
0: I mean, any anybody that's going to put together a super group of the big four thrash guys, most likely those two would be a part of it. Most likely, if people ask yeah. around, I know I know you can have your oh this or that, but no, most likely those are the two, and you yeah. guys, you guys got it in a in a band in a that you <laughs> from a demo you wrote oh man that's that's a beautiful story i don't know (laughs) that's like one of those things you're like whoa man you know rain and blood you're obsessed with the drummer from rain and blood's and doing the demo man yeah beautiful story so everybody again the record fantastic i love it make sure you guys are pre-ordering it's coming out october 30th (laughs) now the last question because we are uh we are all fans of of the world you know that (laughs) and all the bands that you're a part of and um you know they're all technically active you brought up Fantomas. Tomahawks technically active, I believe as well, and obviously uh-huh. this, Mr. Bungle's got this record coming out. Us as fans, now this—we're not going to hold you to it, but if we were to guess which one of those three bands would put out a new record of new material first, who would you guess? It's <laughs> tricky, right? Oh man,
4: <laughs> between Phantomas, Tomahawk, and um, Mr. Bungle. and and Mr. Bungle. Well, I mean obviously Mr. Bungles is beating everyone to the punch right now, Mm -hmm. but, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this or not. Probably, but, um, Tomahawk, Tomahawk actually has a record, uh, that is going to come out. (laughs) Uh. I, I don't know when, um, it's, it's kind of been, it's kind of taken years for various reasons to get all the pieces in place, but, um, it was essentially, uh, recorded at different times. And, um, I haven't even heard it yet, uh, since I did the bass stuff. Um so so yeah. Um and then Phantom I don't I can't really speak for you know, that's Mike's project. I you know, I don't know that he has any plans at all. Um um you know, so I can't really say.
0: Two out of three though? That's huge. I thought I was gonna <laughs> get zero. I thought I was going nah right. dude, this is what you're getting. Walk away. Yeah. <laughs> they're going yeah. the other ways but two out of that's beautiful. So, growing up, obviously you're a bass player, very unique style. Love the way you write songs. Um, and like I said oh, you thanks. grew up in that nor- uh, in the in the West Coast side and there's a lot of bass players that were rising at that time that are just really unforge- unforgettable for me as a fan. If you uh, had a pick out of I'm just going to pick three iconic bass players in your area, who impressed you the most? You can pick one of them. Would it be okay. Flea, Cliff Burton or Les Claypool?
4: um good company it's good company right there yeah yeah that's interesting um i think uh that's a that's a difficult question because i think that a lot of it i think people like flea and les claypool were like i think i was influenced by the same people that maybe they were influenced by people like larry graham and and um you know bobby vega or uh um or uh, Lewis Johnson, you know, these kind of, you know, super funky slap guys, or I mean, Bobby Vega wasn't really a slap guy, but, you know, he played with Sly Stone and then some of his stuff with Sly Stone is, is huge for me. Um, Cliff Burton, of course, I loved, I mean, you know, I, I loved the first three Metallica records and, and, and he, yeah. He was, you know, I well, I would probably go with Cliff Burton
1: ah.
4: <laughs> out of those three <laughs> for that reason. <laughs> like he's, you know, he's like a, he's, a, I would say a unique metal bass player. Um, and those other guys are kind of more, uh, I would say derivative Ah, dude. Without, without saying too harsh. No,
0: not at all. I, I love it. That's That's <laughs> awesome. Cliff Burton wins again. The legacy <laughs> That's keeps going. Right. Trevor yeah. Dunn said so. So, with that, everybody, <laughs> let me remind you guys. Oh, la- uh, real quick. Now, the live stream shows are happening. Um, do, are, are you guys even thinking about doing that for this release, uh, where you can do a live stream show or anything like that, or is that kind of off the table?
4: Yeah, we're doing a we're doing a record release show. I'm doing air quotes right now. Um, <laughs> uh, we're we're um, writing a studio in L.A. and we're gonna. Um, you know, tape the show, tape, I'm putting air quotes around the word tape now. <laughs> uh, and um, we're going to pre-record the show, and it's going to air on uh, Halloween.
0: Oh, man, that's beautiful. Guys, one more time. Make sure you're pre-ordering October 30th, The Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny demo. It is out. Make sure you're picking up, as we just talked about it, on Halloween. You're going to get yourself a live streamed show from mr bungle make sure you're checking the info make sure you're pre ordering tickets anything you got to do guys oh trevor absolute joy talking to you man. have been a fan for <laughs> right. so many years and oh that's uh, great man
4: thanks thanks so much for the support really appreciate it it's nice to have you know it's nice to have that
1: Cast.
0: and we are back first song you heard is off the latest record The Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny demo it's coming out October 30th what a fun track that's Erasis the second song you guys same record Raping Your Mind again it's coming out October 30th guys The Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny demo pre-order it now and don't miss out on the live streaming event mrbungle.live go pick up tickets 15 bucks Mm. yes and make sure you guys are doing that I'll be watching that show Guaranteed on Halloween, man. I'll be, I don't know what I'm going to dress up as Halloween this year. I think I'm going to be a Yoshi. You should, you should dress like a uh, Bung Buck Dower. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm sure everybody will figure that out. <laughs> I figured my kids can be like Mario and Luigi and I could be Yoshi. Yeah, good. Because they'll ride on my shoulders when I'm walking. Is your wife going to be
3: Princess Peach?
0: Ooh, no, she likes to be Rosalina. Rosaline Oh, that's yeah. her favorite
3: character. Yeah, she's not in the game. She's like, she's like the game. She's, she's like in Mario character. Party. Yeah, that's what it was. She's yeah. like, she's like another princess that they're like, look, we need more princesses for Mario Kart and <laughs> like, Mario Party. Let's make up this bullshit character.
2: Women really like to like uh, attach themselves to characters that remind them of their own body types and looks. I'm the same. Like my favorite is Bowser. So. <laughs> oh, oh, <fuck>. no. <laughs>
1: Jesus.
3: I want to thank everybody out there. <laughs>
1: Fantastic.
3: <laughs> no. You, you, do, not, the you show. do not look like Bowser. No. You do not look like <laughs> You don't know what I look Bowser. like
2: under, under those clothes. <laughs> oh. you don't know. I'm no, wearing I, a lot of Spanx. I, so. Mike, like, is
3: that a shell with Spikes? I have spikes?
2: A shell <laughs> 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 Orange five o'clock shadow. Oh. Is it there?
0: <laughs> <laughs> orange five o'clock shadow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you should see her do a lap on a go-kart. Uh, oh boy. <laughs> I want to thank everybody out there for the five star reviews we keep getting on the good old iTunes. You guys are the best. You're the reason we keep coming back, doing the show. We love doing it. We love giving you guys the content. Hopefully, it makes your week a little bit better, all you listeners out there. Five star reviews on Apple iTunes. That's all we ask for. And thank you, everybody, who's checking out our other podcast, Rise to Offend, a documentary podcast. Um, we are finishing up Woodstock this week, and then next week we're going to be jumping into a uh, a band, but we're not going to say. Oh wow! No, okay. we're not going to say. We'll oh, talk about even it a next teaser. week. Whoop, yeah, whoop. I know. But you know how RTO is. Sometimes it don't happen for a couple weeks. Whoop whoop. <laughs> so whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> whoop, whoop, whoop. So anyways, with that. <laughs> you no, know, just, just two. Just two whoops. Friends out there. Whoop, 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 whoop. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> it's ICP. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So, crack a fego and see us next yeah, exactly. week.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead and <laughs> drink, drink <laughs> two, stuff, drink two some, weeks. Yeah, <laughs> two drink some stuff. See us in two
2: weeks. Drink some
0: stuff under the sink. Get on their level. You have two weeks and, uh, <laughs> to order your face paint. Yeah. The documentary story of ICP will have amazing clips from them and yes. themselves. You yes. will feel oh, yeah. good. You Jesus will feel gross. good about yourself. <laughs> you will. The education level is re- legit. Anyways. So, with that, until next week, guys, have some miracles. The Metal Sucks Podcast is signing off.